0: His world, and in this morning's reading that we've just heard, Jesus offers us three different parables about the kingdom, and we're going to uh, reflect on those this morning. I must say, I was a little dismayed this morning when I got to the first parable and I realized it was a gardening metaphor. (laughs) After last week's, you know, discussion about my dismal gardening performance, I was a little dismayed to see that. But I am pleased to report that, as I mentioned last week, after ripping out Mary's plants and replanting, at least three of them are growing again. So there's hope for this gardener yet. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 13, and I'm reading from verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The first image in this parable is the image of a mustard seed growing into a great tree. It's talking about miraculous growth. Mustard seeds are tiny little seeds that ordinarily they would grow to be an average-sized plant in the garden. But the parable that Jesus shares is this mustard seed growing miraculously into a tree. And the tree becomes the place where birds can come and perch. The birds come and take shelter, they rest, they find protection. Now, remembering the context into which Jesus is teaching this parable. He has gathered around him 12 disciples who we call the apostles. We know that he has gathered uh, at least another 72 uh, disciples to follow him, to be a part of his early band. So it's small beginnings, small beginnings of the kingdom, about the same number of people that are here present this morning, we might say. But Jesus is saying that this little small seed is going to grow into something significant, something where people are able to, going to come and take shelter. This early band of disciples has grown today to reach over two billion disciples in what Jesus calls his church. But the kingdom of God, of course, spans more than just the church. The kingdom of God spans heaven and earth. It spans the saints' who are alive, and the saints who have been called home to be with God in glory. Wherever God's presence, wherever God's power, and wherever God's purpose is manifest, we can say God's kingdom is there. And this mustard seed, this mustard seed that Jesus is inaugurating is going to grow miraculously to offer the shelter for many. Growing And offering shelter to anyone who needs grace, forgiveness, healing, and purpose. The mustard seed becomes a tree for shelter. I wonder this morning, as you've gathered this morning, I wonder if you're looking for shelter. I wonder if you're looking for a space where you can come under the protective shelter of God's. And that's what he's offering to us this morning as we step into the kingdom of God's. The second parable makes it clear that it takes very little of God's power to transform your situation. Very little of God's kingdom is required to turn your current situation around, whatever you find yourself in right now. The second parable talks about a woman. She's got this huge amount of flour, 60 pounds, and she sprinkles in a little bit of yeast Just a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven. And that yeast permeates the flour. It reacts with the flour, with the air and the moisture, and it begins to cause the bread to rise. And the smell of fresh bread fills the kitchen, just as surely as the smell of God's saints and God's presence permeate any place that God ministers into, any place that you go. You become that leaven when Christ is in you. You permeate the world. You transform the world in the aspect of the, of the kingdom. So these two parables talk about growth. They talk about protection. They talk about permeation. They talk about the marks of the kingdom of God when God's presence, when God's power, when God's purpose is revealed in Christ in you. But Jesus goes on to describe how we enter into that kingdom in verse 22. Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. There are two doors in human existence that once they close, you cannot return and re enter that door. The first door that closes behind you is when you die. The date of your death has been set by God. Your lifespan has been allocated by God. How do I know that? Well, I know that because God's word tells us that is the case. We read in the Psalms, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, Psalm 139, 16. And that's why. That's why when we pass legislation in our country that says we can determine the end of our life, we are entering in the realm of blasphemy. God ordains the number of days that is allotted for us. God alone ordains when we will live and when we'll die. Now I know at least two unborn children in our fellowship, a little Goatly and a little Morley John, that we will get to meet in due course. And I take great heart from knowing That God has ordained the number of days that those little children are going to walk on this earth. It's true for you. God has ordained the number of days that you will walk on this earth. This week, Mary went round to visit her dad as she's done for uh, every Tuesday morning since we've been back in Dunedin. But this was the last Tuesday morning that she would go and visit Bob because this Tuesday, as she arrived round at Bob's place, she walked in the door and she found that Bob had died and was resting with the Lord, and his body was there on his bed. Before he went to bed last Monday, he wrote on his whiteboards in the kitchen, the 27th of October. It was to be the day that he died. And it came as a huge shock for Mary, but it didn't come as a shock for God. God knew exactly that that was the day that he was calling Bob home. But that door has now closed for Bob. He will no longer live in this world. And as hard and as important as it is for us to know now, we aren't ultimately created for this world. We are created for another world, for the kingdom of God's. We were created for life in the kingdom. And Jesus instructs us in this passage that entry into this kingdom is through the narrow door. Look again at verse 24. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter that door and will not be able to. But once the owner of the house gets up and closes that door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. Once the door closes, there is no other options to enter back into that door. The door which Jesus is describing here is narrow in comparison to the many paths we choose in this world of riches, fame, family, reputation, whatever it might be. Jesus indicates there is only one means by which you can enter into the kingdom. It is repentant faith in himself, the son of God. In John ten seven, Jesus said the following words. He said, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full only one means into the kingdom of God. It's the means of Christ himself. He is the narrow gate. Only through a humble, attentive relationship with Jesus Christ is the only means by which you can enter in, which Jesus describes the kingdom of God. Laying down your ambitions, laying down your prides, laying down even your plans and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the only means by which you can enter into the kingdom of God. And if you have never consciously done that, then today is the day for you. Today is the day to take that step into the kingdom of God. Because a day is coming soon when that first door will close. In the previous chapter, Jesus told another parable about a rich man building bigger barns and bigger crops taking life easy, eating, drinking, and merry. And God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? On the night that your life is demanded of you, the door closes. No more chances, no more options. The door is closed, as Jesus makes so very clear in this passage. Look how it carries on. In verse 26, there will be weeping, there will be gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out, people will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who will be last, who will be first, and first who will be last. On the night that your life is demanded, no more chances. For anyone who has not yielded your life to Jesus Christ to use the imagery that Jesus uses here in Luke 13 has not entered into the kingdom through the door, which is faith in Jesus Christ, this message must be of utmost concern. This message has eternal significance for you. Take the narrow door. But as we see in a moment, once we've trusted our life and our future into the hands of our Lord, there is cause for great hope and great assurance of our eternal destiny with God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked us that question this morning. Do you believe this? If your life is demanded of you tonight, when the first door closes, will you be in the kingdom of God secure of your eternal assurance? There is, of course, a second door that scripture refers to that will close. And when the second door closes, life as we know it on this earth will come to an end. I'm talking, of course, when the Lord returns. In chapter 14, Jesus shares another parable about the kingdom, but this time he looks to the end of the age, the last days, and he's referencing the great banquet. Turn with me to chapter 14, and I'm reading from verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, "'Blessed is the one who will eat in the feast "'in the kingdom of God.' "'Jesus replied, "'A certain man was preparing a great banquet "'and invited many guests.' The servant came back and reported this to his master and then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads, the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste of my banquets now the context of jesus teaching this parable is he is in a well-known pharisee's house it's a sabbath and he has just healed someone on the sabbath one of the guests is sitting with jesus and is confident in the blessing of god's because he's sitting at this meal with jesus and he's confident that god's favor is on him and on israel But Jesus makes it quite clear that our proximity is not the means of God's blessing. In the parable, the man who prepares the great banquet is God himself. The servant who sends out the invites is Jesus. Come, for everything is ready, Jesus says. And that's when the excuses begin to flow. Now, over the last couple of weeks, a number of us have been gathering to talk about sharing our faith as a church. And we've been talking about putting on a good news course to share our faith with the city that don't know Jesus. And so we've been sending invites to people to come to the course, to come and hear about the good news of God. And I've already heard a variety of plausible excuses about why people can't come. The excuses listed in the parable include I bought a field. I bought five oxen. I'm about to get married. Plausible reasons to decline the invites, especially for a Jew. Remember, Jesus is talking into the context of the Pharisee's house. In Deuteronomy 27, a very similar reason uh, given for not serving in Israel's army, a recent engagement, a house needing a dedication, a vineyard needing harvest, these are all valid reasons to not serve in the army. So these three people refuse the invite to the banquets. They attend to worldly requirements. They're attending to good things, good things that God has given them, but they're not things of eternity. They are not the best things that they should be attending to. And the owner becomes angry. Remember, I just said that God is the owner in this parable. He becomes angry. We know that God is slow to anger and rich in love, but this parable is quite clear. There comes a day when God's patience runs out and the second door will close. The owner tells his servants, well, if they're not gonna come, go and extend the invites further. Go into the towns Go into the alleyways and extend the invitation to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Remembering that the first lot who were invited were able-bodied. They were wealthy. To have five oxen was a wealthy man. They were people who were a part of God's people in Israel. The second wave of invitations that these go that this goes out to are people who can't support themselves. They are the cripples, they are the blind, they are the lame, and these people are currently excluded from God's reign in Israel. In Leviticus twenty-one sixteen, we read the following. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, for the generation to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer food to his God. No man has any defect may come near, no man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand. They are excluded from coming into the temple. Now, this passage always concerns me. It goes on to. Exclude hunchbacks, dwarfs, and those with damaged testicles. It concerns me because I have a bit of a stoop, all right? (laughs) The blind, the lame, and the crippled are excluded from the temple, but God now says through Jesus, you are welcome to come. You are welcome to come to the banquets. You are welcome to experience the fullness of God's kingdom the invite is open to you and there's yet more room he says so send the servant back out this time into the roads out into the country lanes out to Green Island out to Mosgiel, out to Waihola the invite goes further afield the servant says but look at verse 24 it ends with the shocking warning I tell you not one of those who were invited will get a taste in my banquet." He's talking about the original invitees. The ones who had the excuses. The ones who were more concerned about their earthly existence, what they're involved in right now, than they were on eternity. And they don't get to sit at the table in the banquets. The rich, the self-sufficient, those whose eyes are on the pleasures of earth are excluded from the eternal celebration. So what are we to make of these sobering parables that Jesus offers to us this morning? Well, the banquet has been prepared. The invites have gone out. This week, I've been reading through the book of Revelation. I've actually just finished reading from Genesis to Revelation. It's taken me three years to get from start to finish, but this week, I was in the last few chapters of the book of Revelation And I concluded with the wonderful imagery of the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the great celebration that every follower of Jesus has to look forward to with hope and joy. This is the parable that Jesus is describing, and John unpacks more fully in the last chapters of Revelation. When the Lamb, who was crucified but overcame death on the third day, will finally be united with his church, a bride who has... White robes of purity washed clean by the blood of the lamb. And we will sit at that feast in the presence of God in all his glory. We will see God face to face. We will be there not because we have earned it, not because we deserve it, but because Christ has earned it for us and he has overcome death so that we might live eternally with God. I wonder what it is that you think you need most this morning. I wonder what it is that you think you need most this morning. What is it that is focusing your attention? What is it that's drawing all your attention, all your emotions, all your energy throughout the week? Where do you find your mind going? Perhaps you're wanting to grow in God. Perhaps you're spiritually dry, need of a revitalized relationship with God in his kingdom, well, Jesus' parable offers us that hope that we can be growing in his grace. We can be growing in our understanding of Jesus. Or well, perhaps you're needing protection. Perhaps you're needing shelter this morning. Perhaps you're looking for a place to come and be sheltered, be protected, the, the buffeting the struggles of, of this year have caught up with you and perhaps you're just needing a place to find shelter this morning. God offers that to you in Christ. Perhaps it is that you're very, very aware that there are a number of people out on the streets, out on the byways who don't know Christ and perhaps you need to be that leaven, you need to be the dough that goes out and shares Christ with the lost but there is one far more pressing issue that all of us must face realizing that there are two doors that these parables indicate that once they are closed we have no more options the first door is when we die and God ordains when you will be called home the second door is when Christ returns Revelation 21 Verse six and following says the following. I said, he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars They will be consigned to a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Do you know where you will be? If God spoke to you this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Do you know where you will be? The first door is your death, which is overcome by Jesus' life. The second door is the second death, when God finally judges all people. And these doors, once closed, are closed for good. Revelation 22. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral and murderers, the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride says, come and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That's on offer to us this morning. The free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. You've heard this message this morning. And because you've heard this message this morning, God has given to you an invitation to come to the banquet. An invitation to be with him in all eternity. Not because you deserve it, Not because you can earn it, but because Christ has paid the price for you. More than that, because Christ has overcome death, you can live for eternity with God's. The invitation is yours. Jesus would say to you this morning, come. How do you respond to Jesus? Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, as we sit under your word this morning and as we hear the teaching of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we reflect again on the price that he has paid for us, we want to say thank you for the invitation that you have extended to us this morning. And I pray for each and every one of us here. I especially want to pray now for those who don't yet know you. Lord, that you administer your saving grace that you would minister your repentant faith, that we might turn away from our self-sufficiency, from our rebellion, from our pride, from the distractions of this world, that we might enter into your kingdom, that we might say yes to Jesus, that we might say thank you, come and be Lord of our lives, come and be Lord of my life. Father, would you grant that gift of faith this morning. Lord, for others of us here who are seeking shelter, shelter from the storm, we thank you this morning that you offer that shelter in the kingdom through Christ. Minister your protection. Minister your grace. Minister your love this morning. And Father, as we reflect on these words, these sobering words of what is yet to come, We want to say thank you for the hope and the joy that we have of being able to dine with you for eternity at the banquet. We thank you that you're calling us, your bride, the church, to be with you in eternity. But Lord, as we reflect on these words, we know there are many, many out there. Our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues who don't yet know you. And are in danger of being lost eternally. And so I pray, Lord, for each of us, stir in our hearts. Grant us to be that leaven that you call us to be. Grant us the boldness. Send us out, we pray, for your glory. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.